0: Hello and welcome to Wall. My name is Elvis and as always I am your host. Okay so this is going to be kind of a short episode. Not a lot to talk about, not a lot of reviews, but let's just try to get on into it. Hopefully it'll all work out. Now let's head on into movie news. Our first thing is, well that's Spider-Man and Venom is a likely crossover according to Kevin Feige. Now this is just kind of a quick shot but honestly I think that that's pretty hilarious given how much of a meme Kevin Feige became after that possibility was first brought up by Amy Pascal herself like you know disappointed or awkward Kevin Feige so I feel like even though I wouldn't personally want them to crossover, mainly because I think that Venom was a strong solitary movie as its own thing rather than having to you know buckle down and have to cross over it's still pretty funny to think that Amy Pascal, of all people, was having the last laugh here and that it has had such a cult following. So yeah, no, that's pretty funny. Next up is that apparently the Kingsman prequel, which is sometimes called Kingsman 3 even though it's not technically called that, is now being called the Kingsman when the original title was previously Kingsman the Great Game. Now the reason why there's a prequel coming out in the first place is that apparently it was meant to be part of the third and final movie but Matthew Vaughn decided that it had to be its own solitary movie to set the events of the third movie up. I'm kind of excited, I like the second movie a lot more than the first and I feel like Well, if they do land these two, it'll be a pretty good series overall. So I really hope that turns out great. So fingers crossed for that one. Next up is another quick shot. Apparently Marvel Studios has confirmed talks that they've been offering Keanu Reeves roles in MCU movies, which has me kind of worried because I don't think that they're going to do anything really interesting with him. And I don't really see who he could fit that would also feasibly even be a movie. Like a lot of people are saying Moon Knight, like, oh man, he'd be great as Moon Knight. But I don't really think a Moon Knight movie would even happen. Maybe a TV show, but they already canceled most of those, and I wouldn't want to see a TV show after being burnt out on every single TV show that the MCU has ever done. If it does happen, and it's a surprising thing that really does capture him in a great role, then fantastic. Another quick shot is that we also have a short list for the Shang-Chi movie, although not one particular role has been rumored. We do seem to have a consensus that Donnie Yen and Ludi Lin, who played the Black Ranger in a Power Rangers movie, have been tapped for roles. And well, that's awesome. I really hope the Shang-Chi movie does come out and does seem amazing. And I want to see it get off on the right foot here. So and that's it for movie news. Let's head on into TV news. Moving ahead, we have some good news, which is that the Why the Last Man series on FX that was greenlit has finally found new showrunners after the departure of the previous ones, Michael Green and Aida Mashaka Kroll. The new showrunner is apparently Eliza Clark, who has worked on other shows that have had some acclaim, like Animal Kingdom or The Killing but apparently it's still planning for premiere next year in 2020 so you know they have some time but they definitely don't have as much time as they used to. It's been like four months since the showrunners left so they are way behind and I hope they can do well. I really do. Another quick shot we do have our first full look at Superboy from the next season of Titans. It seems like they're just going to be doing the regular black shirts, jeans superboy look and that's really disappointing. I mean you already see a lot of people saying that oh it looks straight out of the comics which is kind of funny because it is insanely easy to reproduce outside the comics so it's really not anything out of the box. I wish that they had gone a little bit more interesting. I'm not saying go full like 90s superboy leather jacket outfit. I don't think that would have fit the show at all but maybe have some echoes of it inside there. This is just like well a cosplay. I'm still excited a little bit more cautiously for Titan Season 2 because I want it to be better. I want it to grow from the first season and learn from the mistakes, but this has been a little bit of a blow to that. So, you know, fingers crossed. I hope it turns out better than expected. And lastly, we move on to comic news. We have, of course, the one thing that pervaded almost the entirety of this week, which was this Spider-Man countdown that... Marvel did which was hilarious mainly because of well the reactions to the countdown which was that Marvel started a countdown with the web slinged number four and now I'm not saying it's hilarious because a lot of people who saw that thought it was going to be Spider-Man 4 by Sam Raimi either like an adaptation in comic form or animated show or anything like that and I'm not gonna laugh at them I know a lot of people have started to like mock them that's a shame that's Something that I wouldn't do, mainly because, well, at the very least, they had hope. They had, like, hope that something they enjoyed would come back to them, and it's saddening that it didn't turn out that way. No, no, I think it's laughable because of every other guess around it, like my own guess and a lot of other people's guests, which was that it was going to be a Spider-Man Fantastic Four crossover, which was succinctly dashed when the number three image came out. And, well, that was hilarious because it was a double play. Like, wow, I would just start a countdown with the number four and it turns out that it just ended up being that they were announcing another Spider-Man book this time a miniseries plotted by J.J. Abrams and written by his son and that's just so lackluster and the fact that it's also a director so people were at least a little bit on the ball with Sam Raimi, was just hilarious it's just so odd it's such a boring thing to announce because now you have four days of build-up and anticipation for something that you know isn't really that exciting because when's the last time J.J. Abrams had actual cachet in entertainment no one's really excited for J.J. Abrams anymore he's not like singing with Andy Sandberg and the Lonely Island at the MTV Movie Awards now is he like that was the thing that happened J.J. Abrams was was a big name deal people knew about J.J. Abrams people were excited for Lost and Cloverfield and Super 8 but now it's like oh J.J. Abrams is just every day he's commonplace it's like oh yeah we're making a miniseries of him and we're gonna have a character called Cadaverous and it's like this is too bland this is really bland. It's dull. And it's like, why even bother trying to hype it up? Mainly because they know. It's probably because they know it wasn't anything big or exciting themselves. And this is the only way to get people talking about it. Because C.B. Sabolski, or whatever his name is, was also like, now that everyone's talking about Spider-Man, like, yeah, people aren't talking about Spider-Man because they're disappointed. That was quite a thing. And the entirety of this countdown was probably going to be more entertaining than the comic is actually going to be. Which is also, in its own way, pretty funny. So, I can't wait to not read it. And finally, in comic news, we have the announcement that DC is going to be combining all of its imprints under a single banner. So that means that Vertigo, DC Inc., and I think the other DC youth-oriented line are all going to be defunct and things are just going to be coming through under like Black Label or regular DC, that kind of thing, which is, well, that's a shame. I know a lot of people have been outpouring with their appreciation and love for Vertigo over the past two days and that's amazing. We're seeing a lot of appreciation for both the well-known Vertigo classics but also the more niche Vertigo stuff. Just to get it out there, I still love American Freak. I think it's a great Swamp Thing-esque story about the unmen. If you haven't read American Freak, I heartily recommend it. It's one of my favorite Vertigo series of all time. Please check it out. But overall, people have also been saying that if you want the Verve and the successor of Vertigo, check out Burger Books, which I also recommend. I think that it does carry forth a lot of what made Vertigo unique and great, which was just the ideas about it. I know that there's been some mockery about how Dandadio has framed Vertigo as being, oh yeah, it was just where DC creators could go and be like mature. But no, it's more than that. Having actually mature stories that do ask and do probe interesting questions and ideas and concepts. And well, that's pretty much Vertigo's legacy. And hopefully people never forget that. I know I won't. And I'm so glad at least that there has been a Vertigo that can have success or that can have influence and that did bring something new to the industry that a lot of creators still carry a torch for so rest in peace vertigo rest in peace all right so moving on into what i read this week i actually only read one book this week which was superman year one Book one. And well, let's just get right onto it. I can already tell this is going to be a divisive book. That was my impression before all this discourse about it started blowing up. And I know that I'm just recording this right now, like a couple of days later. So this is just really more of my first initial thoughts about it, not influenced by that discourse. After I read it, I knew off the bat that it was just going to engender a lot of different impressions, even as someone who liked it. And yeah, I'm gonna get that out there. I do genuinely like this book. There's some things that I felt didn't quite work or that flat out fumbled out of the gate. Yet in a way, it reminded me a lot of another Miller project that received the same kind of huge derision, which was the Spirit movie. Not in terms of tone or anything, but more in the sense that Superman Year One is much like that movie. Such a specific and exacting vision from the creator that it's almost impenetrable. Not that such an aim or goal makes it good, but it does make me interested in how it ever came about. Things like how Miller is clearly trying to imbue a lot of the early to late golden age stuff, like Superman arriving on Earth as a fully cognizant alien being, or all the super baby stuff. Things he weaves in through a very purposeful, detached narration. All of them are interesting, but just because they're interesting and that they're played in, well, kind of an intriguing way, doesn't make it entertaining outright. In fact, these elements make the book sort of off-putting at times. A lot of the appeal of Superman stories is the hearty, heartfelt core moments and every modern origin has tried their hand at a few of these. So year one's emphasis on depicting his otherness in such a overt way is pretty much unnerving. It doesn't really engender or ingratiate Superman to the reader. In fact it does kind of the opposite at times. However this is an area where Miller does something kind of fascinating to me. In setting all of this up and all these scenes in this way, he briskly counterpoints them in a very understated but powerful manner. He switches the POV. It's not brilliant but it does have impact. As much as the detached third-person inner monologue emphasizes how different Superman is from the rest of humanity, the first-person monologue that it does only only sparsely, helps to bring the sharp relief how innately and intimately human Clark actually is. And those moments are, well, beautiful. Not in the least part due to J.R. Jr.'s artwork and the colors in this issue. I know some people can't stand his artwork, and believe me, he has some real groaners. But even here, That doesn't mitigate the pages and set pieces that do have this majestic and powerful quality to them. Even with the oddly creepy Super Baby stuff, there are still sparsed in a few adorable and even cute moments. Like many of them even. Hell, one of my favorite pages is Clark cartwheeling through the sky because of how much he loves Lana. The plot of the issue itself is more or less set dressing that we've been through before. Like Pa Kent's advice, Smallville High, Football Stardom. But it's punctuated by very lifting aspects like that, such as when Clark has this small rumination by himself and it's in the first person and it cuts right to the core and it makes you just feel for the character so much and it works because it's these moments that at least bring something new to the table of how to approach Superman and how to approach Clark Kent. Does it all work? No. Like I said, there are things that don't really gel together at all. And this intent works maybe about 70% of the time. I won't even touch the Lana Lang gang rape rescue bit. I mean, I feel like there are a bunch of ways to discuss that scene that I am not at all confident I can do with Grace. It didn't sour the issue for me overall, but what did give me pause is that the scene is just so close to when Lana and Clark become a couple officially, that just tenses me up in the wrong way. Even then, even then, the scene itself does a wonderful job in showing how Clark is trying to manage his emotions, his thoroughly human emotions, and his powers that he knows can do damage. And it feels weighty, him trying to navigate this insanely tricky area. Did this scene need to be set up for that character beat, though? I don't think so, but that's a discussion for another time. It's definitely not a perfect issue, but it did leave me intrigued. It did leave me interested. It did leave me wondering. There's just something about this first of Clark. I want to follow his journey. I want to see him grow. I want to see him find his place. One of the best parts of this origin is how Clark, coming to Earth with all of his faculties, is very aware of what happened to Krypton. Very, very aware. And it adds such a heartbreaking element to his origin. So yeah, overall, not great, but it definitely left me interested in knowing more. One thumb up, one thumb middle. Also, I just want to say that some clowns out there are calling this Holy Terror too because Clark joins the Navy, which is insanity, not the least of which because it's such a clear way to set him up to meet Laurie Lamar's next issue. But still, I can't wait. I can't wait to see where this goes. Anyway, now we can move on to what I watched this week. Like I said, kind of a short episode. But first things up, we have Krypton, season two, episode two, Ghost in the Fire. This was definitely a step up from the premiere, which, well, I really liked premiere. So the show is continuing to head on with some strong footing. This episode takes itself a bit slower in contrast to the sheer insanity of some of the plot beats of the last episode, but allows itself to be more well-rounded as a result. There's like four different core story threads going on and it cycles through all of them impressively. None of them feel especially stretched out or dragged on for filler's sake. I mean there's one bit at the end where the Seg and Adam subplot seems like it's coming close to veering straight down into some drawn out drama but then takes a swift turn into some hilariously bleak areas and I kind of love that. It shows that while it is going to pad out some stuff that it's at least willing to make some of that as entertaining as it can. The weakest of the subplots this episode has to be the stuff concerning Nissa Vex, not it's badly written per se and even General Azad who has a role in this subplot is less stiff with acting this time around and it does give me a little bit more hope that he's not going to be such a jarring performer. It's just that this subplot is really edging close to being a standard drawn out stretched out character conflict bullshit that is just so boring to watch. There's really nothing of interest there outside of us already knowing that Nyssa is being forced into being a traitor. I mean until the other foot drops it's just going to be us watching it spin its wheels. The only other negative I could point out is that Zod's aunt has her own storyline and while the storyline itself is actually really good and she was a pretty engaging character last season, this episode has her with the same shuddering nature Zod's acting hadn't premiere and I kind of wonder if this is going to be a running gag where one actor is going to be kind of bad every episode. Overall though, this episode covers a good amount of ground without feeling aimless or uninterested in its own story and I guess I have to mention Lobo. The actor portraying him did a great job. There are quite a few gags and jokes that didn't really land that felt like he was reaching and forcing, but the actor just dives right into the character of his whole chest. And that makes the difference more often than not. Just an incredible amount of zeal and confidence in every line and movement. Even the flatter lines. And it just makes him such a delight to watch. I can't wait to see more of him because he bounces off Adam and Seg's inane kind of <laughs> idiocy pretty perfectly. It's a solid second episode and I can't wait for next week's. I hope it continues the streak of being, well, resoundingly, solidly entertained there are still some things that could be improved. But overall, one thumb up, one thumb middle. And lastly, we have Swamp Thing Episode 4, Darkness on the Edge of Town. This is maybe the weakest episode of Swamp Thing so far, in that it's still good, still watchable, but you can see the elements of the basic genre as seen on TV start to creep in. It's pretty much just a really standard episodic procedural episode. You can see where the rumors of how WB wanted to have a trite mystery of the week show could have had basis. The thrust of this episode is really just what kooky thing is the Rod slash the Swamp gonna do next. And that in itself isn't at all interesting. It feels too removed from the current storyline at hand and as a conceit doesn't really feed into anything at all. Well it feeds into one thing but the rest of the episode feels like bland filler. It relies on the answer and solution being so obvious with the characters being too short strung to figure it out and that makes it less engaging and more annoyingly dull to see. Like most of these types of episodes can get without a strong character premise for these episodes like the previous three then the drama surrounding the show has nothing to work with and it's so just left to burden the weight of the story as a whole so this episode is just really imbalanced and feels like it which is a shame it was on a bit of a streak it's not a bad episode, but it's a really skippable one. Like, there's nothing of importance or interest that happens here. There's not even a lot of character grounding that you can expect here. Just It's just so bland and interesting, and it feels like filler. It really does, which is kind of insane, because this is only a one-season thing. Which I guess they didn't know, so maybe I'm having too many expectations of this show in hoping that at least the one season it has is going to be really, really tight. But it's a shame, and I hope that the season is more tight, because the acting still does it, and the writing is still bringing it, And they deserve better than just really, really dull episodes like this. The one thing I've noticed that we do get is a nightmare sequence involving Anton Arcaneville people who is terrorizing a young Abby in it. Which is a surprise because they said that Anton wouldn't be in this season at all. So that was kind of a fun surprise. The way they depict Nightmare Anton is, well actually, really, really silly and campy though. Like some sort of dime store creepy old man from a B-movie, but that kind of works, and the novelty of even seeing Anton helps out a bit. Overall, it's just middling and forgettable. Still not the worst, but it does give me some caution regarding where this season is going to go. Two thumbs middle. Anyway, that's it for this week. I'm so glad if you made it all the way through. There's no listener questions this week, so I just want to say thank you to everyone out there who has ever sent in a question. Thank you so much. It means so much to me. And if anyone out there has their own questions or comments or topics they want to hear discussed on the show, they can always contact me on my Twitter account at T-H-E underscore S-N-I-C-K-M-A-N. If you have any of your own, then please send them over. I also want to give a shout out to the cover artists for the show at D-O-T-E-M-C-E-E. They're amazing. They deserve all support they can get. And as always, thank you guys so much. Have a great week and see you then.